Animaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I'm your host, Dave, and today is my birthday, May 10th, uh, in 1976, I was born, and today I am 43 years old. Uh, I don't feel 43, I feel like I kind of stopped... Uh, feeling older-ish around like 35 aside from uh, knowing that I'm more fragile and and uh, having back problems and, and knee problems and that sort of thing. Like obviously all of that's happening but as far as uh, that's that's about maybe 30, 35 is when I stopped mentally uh, not maturing, because I do feel like I'm wiser. I do feel like I'm more tolerant. I do feel like I'm a better person, but interest level wise or interest wise, I'm kind of just into the same stuff that I've always been in. Which is why today, on the way home from work, I purchased Star Wars: Escape from Death Star game, which is a very sort of German sounding title. Uh, this is a reproduction of a game I'm, I'm opening it right here on the podcast uh, this is a reproduction of a game that I had when I was a child my granny who is no longer with us uh, would go around to garage sales and buy board games and toys and and weird things for me to have to entertain myself when we went to visit them up in North Carolina and all of the stuff that she got stayed up there. That was stuff for Granny and Papa's house. So the original 1977, like late 77, early 78, I think, uh, Escape from Death Star was uh, was one of the games up there. And I never had it at home. We only had it at Granny and Papa's. We played it every single time I went up there. And I love it. I loved it so much. It was as because we didn't, you know, we didn't have VHS and DVD of of the Star Wars movies. This was one of the ways that we relived that amazing magical experience that was uh, Star Wars. So Hasbro has done something really cool this year, and has finally, and we've talked about this on the show before with how big reaction figures are, how big retro toys are, so many different things making a comeback, like, you know, Mad Balls and even, like, Thundercats classics and the the new He-Man-style figures of DC characters and whatever else, with with all of these retro-style toys coming back, how is Hasbro not reissuing original Star Wars figures, the Kenner-style figures? It's it seemed crazy to me for a while now. We like I said, we've talked about it on the show, and finally they are. Uh, I don't know if this stuff is exclusive to Target or if it will eventually make its way elsewhere. It's not available on Hasbro Pulse, which I found kind of annoying because I've been buying basically every Hasbro product I get now. I get through Hasbro Pulse because they 
pack it carefully, they ship it quickly, uh, everything has arrived in great condition and in a very timely manner. I love it. I love Hasbro Pulse. Uh, but this stuff is not available there. It is thus far only available at Target. Uh, and as a matter of fact, this Star Wars Escape from Death Star game uh, was... I had to buy it and go pick it up at the store. I, I couldn't even... Uh, I couldn't even... Uh, I apologize. I'm opening it now because this game includes... And this is not the main draw. The main draw for me is the game itself... But uh, this game includes a vintage-style Grand Moff Tarkin action figure that was never released in the original Kenner line, which is insane because he's the main villain of the first Star Wars movie that was ever released to the public. It's absolutely crazy that this is the first time we've gotten a figure of him in this style. Uh, I don't know what Kenner was thinking, other than old man in gray suit is possibly... Not that appealing to our young buyers. Uh, so I have just pulled Grand Moff Tarkin out of here. He's on a gorgeous card that matches uh, the rest of the cards. There are six other figures in this particular wave of reissues. I, I found a set of six figures on a peg in the wrong section of the toy aisle uh, a, a few days ago. I was thrilled because I want these. I could be cynical and say, oh, I've already got them, or who needs these reproductions, or whatever. But I love them. I, I think they look fantastic. I love the card. The, you know, the card, these are not going to be mistaken for the originals. The figures are different. Uh, the cards are, are different. They, they are artificially worn, which I think is a great look. I really love it. They have a huge, somewhat unattractive retro collection, Collection Serie uh, sticker on the front that I don't care for at all i wish they hadn't done that and, and it's really not necessary because this is clearly a modern product uh, and it says disney on it also but i gotta say this grand moff tarkin looks pretty darn amazing i mean it he if if you didn't know better you'd think oh well this is a reproduction of the 1978 grand moff tarkin uh when in fact this is a modern production that just looks very very convincing so i'm going to set him aside over here with the rest of my retro figures the other six figures that have been released so far and i'm going to take a look at the board game itself it's exactly how i remember it uh you've got red blue and green uh red blue green and yellow markers of uh luke and leia and han and chewie so you can have up to one, two, three, four players playing the game. Uh, the the board is beautiful. The R2-D2 spinner that I had actually completely forgotten about is beautiful. I'm looking at these cards that tell you uh, specific things that happen in the game with this incredible art on them. Uh, you guys, if, if you find this thing at your local Target, it's only 20 bucks. Uh, which the the retro figures are ten bucks a piece, so you're paying ten bucks for Grand Moff Tarkin. You're paying ten bucks for an, a complete entire board game that you can play with your family and friends. I have not played it in probably thirty years, so I can't tell you uh, how fun it is or isn't. But I can tell you, I loved playing it back then, and I'm looking at this board right now with the pictures on it and the, the images from the movie and this weird grid thing where you have to outwit the TIE Fighters. 
uh, it, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. This is a wonderful re-release, and I, I recommend it to everyone. The only thing is, once you take Grand Moff Tarkin out, there's a big hole in the front of the box, which I don't love. But uh, that's okay, because this game is not for displaying. It's for playing. Uh, okay, so now that I've got that out of the way, my excitement there, what, what a great way to kick off my birthday weekend, which, by the way, uh, lots of plans. I, I, I have plenty in store for myself. It's going to be a great time. I'm very excited about what, what we're doing with the family, what I'm doing with some friends. Uh, this, is, this is a good year thus far. The trainee at work, I think I mentioned I'm training somebody at work. And uh, as, as smart as he is, as good as he is, it's very difficult training somebody to do the job that I do. Uh, it is very stressful. It is very... Uh, it takes a long time, three months of 12-hour days of having another person in your face always. Uh, so no matter how nice they are, it gets old. But uh, this guy's great, and this was my last day with him. He is taking his big tests over the next three days, or over three days next week, uh, and then he takes over, and I am done training for hopefully another six years. We'll see how that goes. So that's great news also. Very excited about that. Oh, hey, maybe I should tell you about today's episode. Why don't I do that? Uh, today I am talking to Mr. Chad J. Shonk about Jordan Peele's film Us. I love this movie. Just sitting here right now thinking about the conversation that I had with Chad about it, uh, I want to watch it again like immediately. I can't wait to own this movie and really dig into it. Uh, I need the soundtrack. Uh, I need special features. I need a commentary. I need everything. I, I love, I adore this movie. It made me think. Uh, it amazed me. Uh, the performances are wonderful. But, of course, we're going to talk about all that in the meat of the show. So hang in there, stay tuned, and we're going to talk to Chad from the Left Coast about us. Uh, what else is going on? I have taken a deep dive into the major wrestling figure podcast which is hosted by zach Ryder and kurt hoggins under their real names uh oh gosh matt cardona and brian myers i think is correct uh i've listened to like six episodes now in the past two days or something uh not the past two days the past four days which is still kind of ridiculous uh, but I'm addicted. I love listening to these guys talk about toys. They've got a great chemistry. The show is a lot of fun. And it's gotten me wanting to buy wrestling figures. Now, I I do collect some wrestling figures. I am currently collecting uh, women because, to me, the best part of WWE right now are the women's storylines and the women's matches. So I'm buying pretty much every female figure they put out. I've got Shayna Baszler on pre-order. I've got the Ultimate Ronda Rousey on pre-order. Uh, I just picked up what turned out to be the Chase variant of Sonya Deville, uh, who's in black gear instead of red gear like the regular figure. And uh, the black gear looks really good, especially next to Mandy Rose. Uh, so I've got the two of them now. And then there's I got Nikki Cross uh, not too long ago, and then Ruby Riot who is one of the best action figures I have ever owned. Uh, the Deco's incredible. And and then I also collect uh, the retro WWF figures, a little bit the LJN figures. Uh, so 
I, I, there are a f- couple of things I collect wrestling wise. Uh, I'm thinking about trying to start collecting every WCW figure that Mattel puts out. I don't know. The more I listen to this show, the more likely I am to succumb to that sort of thing. But anyway, those guys are really funny and charming, and I love listening to their show. Uh, and they've got great stories, great background. They talk a lot about like prototypes and stuff. They know the business, uh, and it's a cool show. And I'm I am the degrees of separation between myself and Hawkins and Ryder are very minimal uh, because they they know our friend Chris DePatrillo from Figures Toy Company who's been on the show many times and uh, also Rick Michaels who I have worked with or had worked with for years when I was in the wrestling business uh, actually creates Zack Ryder's ring gear so I, I'm I'm right there I'm right there to one one degree of separation, I think that would be from uh, Zach Ryder and uh, Kurt Hawkins and their wrestling figure podcast that I would love to go on and have absolutely no chance in hell of doing so. Uh, so anyway, that's what's going on with me. Uh, wh- oh, okay. So I wanted last week I mentioned that I want to get better about putting over stuff that I love. So what I'm going to do is put over our pals the casket creatures you know ryan cadaver he's on every needless commentary uh and and is on the show more often than that even but uh the casket creatures incredible band google them uh, get their music check out their stuff check out the video for phantom zone which i am in uh electrocuting bitches which is great fun for me and also this sunday at the masquerade may the 12th uh, the Casket Creatures are playing with the 69 Eyes and a bunch of other bands that I apologize for not remembering right now, but I just got off of two long, long days of work. I'm very tired. I've just started drinking, and I'm getting ready to start for real celebrating my birthday. So please forgive me, the rest of the bands, but Casket Creatures and the 69 Eyes at the Masquerade in Atlanta, Georgia, Sunday, May the 12th. If you can't make it out there, Google the casket creatures and check out some of the best horror punk rock you've ever heard in your life, especially their new album, Return to Wolfton, which was uh, the number two best album I bought last year. And and look, number one was was Ghost. And and you guys know how I feel about that and how our friend Ryan Cadaver feels about that. So that's you know, that's no small feat right there. So anyway, uh, and now I'm going to leave you in the capable rocking hands of our pals, the Mystery Men, who you can also Google and visit at the mysterymenofsurf.com. Enjoy one of their songs and then uh, listen in as me and Chad do our level best to break down the masterpiece that is us. <laughs> Yeah, let's just get into it. Introduce um, it. Let's go. So we at this point, you and I have both. Ch- Chad, Chad, we Dave, 
we need to talk about us. Well, we know each other a long time. We 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 uh, we have known each other a long time, and we've both seen a specific movie twice now in the theater. Yes, because we knew we wanted to talk about us. We do, we do. Uh, now, so, normally, if someone says we need to talk about us, it's pain is going to follow. Right? It's not a good. It's not a good conversation. No, this you, on the you other don't, hand, you don't want your wife saying that to you. No, no, no. But. No. Uh, this is going to be a great conversation. Yes, yes. Because we we get to meet a new person here on the Needless Things podcast, <laughs> and that is uh, Ch- Chad Shonk, other than Star Wars fan, Chad Shonk. I have talked about X-Men and Buffy on here, but uh, Buffy is another thing in which I do not have critical faculties what, about. How about uh, this? We're not talking to fanboy Chad Shonk. No, no, that that we are not. Uh, Although I am a fan of this film, but yeah, 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 yeah. But it, but this is in a, in a different way. Like with yeah. this, you went in with no, nothing was presupposed. You went in with your yep. your film critic eyes ready. To I just, judge. I just went in. I, yeah, it's it's just a film, and it's a film that uh, brings about a lot of reaction and a lot of things to think about. And and yes, uh, I will admit when I'm on here talking about Star Wars, I do tend to shut off. I hate the phrase, but shut off part. I don't shut off part of my brain. I just let my heart take over, and uh, uh, I just I just like things that are Star Wars. Um, but what I the other but one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you about this is the one thing I am not is a horror movie fan. Right, uh, right. I enjoy a good horror film, but unlike Star Wars, where my bar can be very low, my bar for horror films is fairly high. I need a film to be a good film that happens to be a horror film. It being a horror film is not enough to get me interested. And that is in no way to disparage people who do. Because again, I have my my own things that are just that way. Yeah, we we Um, all have our own tastes and things that yeah. that get us going and stimulate our brains or whatever and that yeah that's fine that makes but the I'm, world more interesting and and but i'm not the type of person that runs out to see a horror flick just because it's a horror flick i'm not someone who can sit through watching all the friday 13th movies i've seen them all but i probably won't see them ever again <laughs> right right <laughs> because to me and I, again i don't mean this in a derogatory way but the the worst slasher films are not even the worst the average slasher film to me feels like porn and i don't in the sense that it's waiting through really bad performances and acting and writing to get to the money shots right and and so it feels like to me in kind of the really you know, comedies can be the same way, by the way, especially, you know, like older comedies can be that way, too, where you sit through a bunch of crappy plot stuff just to get to the funny scenes. So I just don't I don't love it. But I know you love horror films. And so I when you said to talk about this, I was like, yeah, this is good because we both come at it from a different point of view. And maybe you can help me appreciate it more as a horror film. Well, and that's and I can why help you appreciate it more as a film. That's you know? why I specifically wanted to talk to you, because it's not just a matter of I I love horror and I I have while horror is enough to draw me in, I do engage the critical part of my brain a little bit more, not as is this a good film, but is this a good horror film? Because to me those yeah. are two different things generally. Yeah. Um but and they can be yeah. Because of your critical mind and also the fact that as far as sort of social awareness goes, you, you're you much more than I am. So I wanted to pick your brain about that aspect of this movie, too, because there's so much in here that moved me and that was an effective message uh, 
that I mean, a lot of times it's really clunky to put social commentary into films. It's not done well. Here, I feel like it was done in a way that's very engaging. It's very in-your-face but it gives you enough to chew on and think about that it's not overbearing. I don't feel like I'm getting hit over the head with a hammer. I feel like I'm getting hit over the head with a very interesting puzzle. No, I agree. Um, I would recommend people check out your little write-up that you did on the site, though. Because while well, you say you don't have as much to grasp on, and I think you did understand a lot of the social implications of the film you well, know, I don't in, in the notes that you wrote up in, in the event that somebody who's not already familiar with me reads that i don't want them to think that i'm saying i am an expert on such things and you should no. listen to what i say like i want to make sure that i'm only a very casual sort of yeah uh, you know what i mean but but well yeah, no and it was I, written in a very colloquial way i don't think it came across that way i think it came across as but you having some understanding of it um uh of what the film could be about or, or what he's trying to get across. But yeah, we can, we should just jump into it and, and yeah. talk about, uh, how do you want to start? You just want to talk about going, um, what we were like going into the film or. Yeah. Let's, let's discuss that a little bit because I, I, as far as just who he is as a person and his background and his experience and his history and what he seems to want to accomplish. I adore Jordan Peele. Yep. Uh, I didn't love, get out as much as everybody else did what i loved about it was how much discipline i saw in the way that he shot it uh yep. and how effectively he did what he wanted to do but it was uh, it, it it just didn't it didn't blow me away like it did so many other people but it made me very excited to see what else he was going to do and uh when i the the first trailer i saw for us indicated to me that he had refined what he was doing a little bit and i was i was super stoked going into this movie like i i didn't go into this like well i didn't love the last one let's hope he does better i went into this like oh man i think i think we're watching this guy grow and that's very exciting yeah it's a very good way looking at it it's a very good way looking at it i i have never seen an episode of key and peel oh wow um, sket- well, I've been I cut the cord a while back, and so I only watch things on demand. And sketch comedy is not something that I seek out. Sketch okay, comedy okay. has always been something that I find. When I I became a kids in the hall fan by stumbling on it, I became a even when I was a little kid a SCTV fan by stumbling on it late at night. You know, sure. Um, even things uh, not even sketch, but. I don't know if comedies, shows like that, I don't... T- even something like Mr. Science Theater, my brother and I just stumbled upon one time. So for Key and Peele, while I heard of things about it, I just it's not something I was going to go online and, and find a place that was streaming and buy an episode or something. I, I just never was going to do that. What I had seen was the uh, Obama's Anger Translator sketches. Yes, yes. And the reason I've seen those is because they get shown in other media, right. even on like legitimate news sites would show them, right? And so that was my impression of Jordan Peele going into Get Out, which was someone who was very funny but also had something to say, you know, because their sketches are funny, but they're also about the fact that um, the first black president of the United States cannot show as much emotion as he may want to out of fear of being seen as an angry black man. Right, right. So there was a 
Uh, I'd like to first of all point out that we are two white, middle-aged, middle-class straight men. Yes. And we are going to be making assumptions, talking about things about this film. Just just keep that in mind. That we're, we're just keep that in mind. That we we're not going to know all the answers. Um, uh, just so you know where we're coming from. But so Get Out, I was a huge fan of, and it fit the mold of what I had seen from those sketches, which was very funny with a racial and political bent to them and something to say. Um, Get Out is a very... What I liked about Get Out was, and we'll get into this with us, is, uh, and I think I posted this on Facebook, I really do feel like Jordan Peele must be a huge fan of Back to the Future. And I know that seems weird, but I'm a big fan of films that hide the entire last act of the movie in the first act where everything you need to know about the film is they tell you in the first half hour and us or in the get out is such a textbook example of setting them up and knocking them down everything that comes up in the first half hour of get out plays out in the rest of the movie in the same way that if you go back and watch back to the future, every fact that is brought up in back to the future matters and you will see every single thing play out. Um, It's almost as if the entire film is just, he just tells you what it's going to be. You just don't know it the first time. And uh, so I really enjoyed that aspect to get out. It's a very blunt movie in what it's about. I mean, there's no way you can't get around the fact that it's about race. Yeah. What he's trying to say, what he wants you to take out, take away from it, that can be up for interpretation. One, the thing I also liked about Get Out was that he could have made a very funny, interesting, dark film just about a guy going home and spending the weekend with his white girlfriend's parents. Like, that could have been the whole movie. And he could have made a very interesting film about that because any black friends I've talked to about this, about Get Out, they're just kind of like, yep, that's what it's like at your parties. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No. Yeah. No. And they're just kind of nodding along with the movie going like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so the observational stuff that makes up the first half of Get Out is, uh, uh, I thought, enough, would have been enough to sustain me, honestly. And then it takes a crazy turn <laughs> um, and, and gets... You know, I wouldn't necessarily call either of these films supernatural. Um, they're actually more science fiction than supernatural because all of the problems are man-made in them. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that I like a lot is when uh, it is a horror movie, but it it doesn't. And look, I love my supernatural horror, but I love when it's look, this is a man-made thing. This is within the realm of technological possibility. This is right. this is imminent horror possibility. Right. Like, I, I dig that a lot. Well, and there's also the societal implications that these ills are created by man. Yes. Right? That these ills are not, these, these problems are not the product of some being from another dimension. They're made by human beings, and even if they're outlandish as they are Get Out um, or as they are in Us, uh, and in Us, this is a big question, which is, you know, that this these are problems made by man, and 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 that makes them a little more, a little more frightening 
in in a lot of ways. You know, uh, there was, you know, <laughs> there was a. I remember there was a movie years ago with Robert Carlyle. They tried to make a Hitler biopic for TV with Robert Carlyle. Oh, and and they did make it, but there was a lot of criticism of the film ahead of time because they were afraid that it humanized Hitler too much, and. I always found that to be an interesting argument because he was human, and that's what's frightening about him. Right, right. You know, it's easy to portray. You know, it's easy to make someone a demon, or say they were. They, you know, oh, Hitler was just pure evil or whatever. But no, he was a human being like you and me, and uh, human beings are capable of all shit. <laughs> and I think that's part of what Peel does here by having the not the roots be opening some supernatural book or you know, uh, conjuring up a demon or some being rise, risen from the grave. In both cases here, they're the results of human experimentation um, and human choice, and so it's interesting. But I, I now I will say this with Us, I like to get out so much that I did not watch a trailer for Us. I did not read a synopsis for Us. All I knew was it was directed by Jordan Peele, and it had my future wife on the poster. <laughs> oh I, man, and isn't I she pol- fantastic? I apologize to my real wife, but she would probably <laughs> she would probably leave me for Lapita as well. Um, <laughs> so I knew nothing. I didn't even know about the doubles. I knew nothing about the film going in, and I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Well, I watched the trailer, uh, but to me. Uh, the trailer, yes, it revealed the doubles, but it didn't reveal much other than the tone of the film, which is, and this is one of the things that I like, is that Jordan Peele is making, he's not making comedy horrors. He's making horrors that have people doing funny things in the way that people do, right. you know, like, whether it's Winston Duke being, you know, stereotypical dad he's, joke dad. He's so good. He's so good. Oh, he's fantastic, and I love... Uh, he has the best line in the movie. We'll get to it. There is an interview with Jordan Peele about casting Winston Winston Duke, who who the wider you know anybody who hasn't seen us knows him as Umbaku from uh, Black Panther. Yeah. Uh, and Jordan Peele saying, you know, I wasn't sure about casting him because how are we going to create any kind of tension when Umbaku is your father? Right. And that Winston Duke basically convinced him, you know, that he could play this goofball guy. Uh, and man, did he ever! But you, you have characters who do funny things, but nothing yes. is played uh, for comedy per se. No, I think they're both very funny movies. Yes. but but being a but being funny doesn't make it a comedy. Correct. Um, Correct. Uh, you know, and it, I do believe that Winston Duke is good friends with Lupita Nyong'o, and I think she was the one that got him the job in Black Panther or pushed for him to be in Black Panther. Um, cause I do believe they have been friends for a long time. Okay. So, okay. so having them, so then seeing them as a couple in this movie, um, you know, I hope T'Challa doesn't see this, but, <laughs> um, but, I, but, but I will say his performance in Black Panther is very funny and very memorable and very warm as he, well. He, you know, he is, been, there's a warmth to him. He could have easily been a sort of, cause you know, the Marvel movies have a, a large stable, of generic supporting characters that are just kind of there. They're cool. They get to do some stuff, and then you don't necessarily remember anything about him. He is not one of those. He is a guy that you looked at and were like, man, I hope he gets a bigger role in whatever he's in next. 
Like and, whatever, whatever. I hope Umbaku gets something meaty next time. And on paper, I bet he was a lot more like that generic yes. character you're thinking I of. I bet you're right. But the Winston Duke Brown life. So yeah, he he's very very good. But yeah, I hadn't. But you, so you had seen the trailer. So what is? The, I still haven't watched the trailer, by the way. Um, what does the trailer? Does the trailer? So the trailer does show you their doubles. It's well. Uh, it's very clear that. Lupita Nyong'o is the, you know, we'll 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 speak in normal yeah. terms of this. She's it's very clear that she's the antagonist and the protagonist. Okay, uh, and it's very clear that the family is facing off against a similar family. But for me personally, I didn't pick up that they were all duplicates at that point. Uh, to me, the trailer was just establishing a tone of of uh, anxiety and horror. Right. It didn't really. I didn't know what the plot was. I mean, sitting watching this movie, uh, there were there were and I won't call them twists, but when it opened up into the larger world, I was very surprised uh, when we saw that there were. For me, the biggest twist of the movie was not at the end finding out that the the mother was actually the the tethered. Because, again, from the beginning, that was apparent to me. And what the movie did that was interesting was made me question whether or not what I assumed to have happened really happened. Because it shows us the mother is a very warm, caring character. And you wonder, well, if she's this evil, because for the intents and purposes uh, at the beginning, whatever's going on, you assume these are evil doppelgangers. Uh, Yes. Well, they're pretty scary. And they are scary, but they're yeah. not scary because they're evil. They're scary because we don't understand them. Yes. Uh, they do stab people with scissors, though. They do, but, well, we'll get we'll get more into yeah. that. We'll get yeah. more into that. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. I went, during, in the beginning, and we'll just get right into it. In the beginning, when she goes into the House of Mirrors, I had the same thought you had, which was that they probably swapped. Mm-hmm. But... I completely forgot about that. Oh, interesting. That that and I think it's I think it's kind of the same experience you had. You you probably kept it sounds like you kept it more in the front of your mind. Oh, I did. I mean that, I that to me was the forgot. movie. I completely forgot that for the film. Um which is why it was exciting going back and watching it a second time and giving it a sixth sense test and sure. seeing if if the twist holds up and we can talk about that and I think it, it does. But I I felt that it wasn't I thought it was more ambiguous than that. Um, I, again, we talk about the differences. I think you were very much going on what you know about horror movies, as well. You know that yeah. that movie. Oh yes. You know, and, and what they and filling in what they didn't show you. Yeah, right? and, and that's uh, we don't see her running away. One of one of the best things about being a parent is watching movies with your kid. And realizing that they haven't done all the learning that you have. Yes. My son doesn't have 42 years worth of watching movies, so he still gets delighted at things that I saw coming. Um, he's still surprised when characters do things. He's still, like, he's he's getting to start fresh. He doesn't have this encyclopedia of knowledge that I have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, yeah, that's exactly what it was, is I... You know, yeah, every once in a while I still get taken by surprise. As a matter of fact, this movie took me by surprise at one point, but right. in general terms, I know how movies work. 
Yes, no, I mean, uh, we talked about this when I was little and Han Solo saved the day at the end of Star Wars. I lost my fucking mind because I had no idea that was going to happen. Anyone over the age of 30 probably knew exactly that was going to happen, but I had no clue because I didn't know how things worked. Right. Um, so I think you're right about the, the, the mood this, this movie sets um, because then you – Let's talk about the, the beginning image real quick, because I think one of the keys to understanding this film, and since we don't have forever, we should we should kind of dive into it. Yeah. For people who are too young to remember Hands Across America, um, which is the first image. The first image of a film is an important one. It, it sets the mood. Sometimes it's just kind of cool looking. Sometimes it says something. Um, sometimes it's just a way to draw you in to the film. In this case, it's just an old-ass cathode ray Kids, ask your parents, television, with a commercial for Hands Across America. Flanked by some very specific VHS tapes. Yes. Uh, The only two I noticed were Chud, um, which I don't believe they're cannibals, but we do have a movie full of humanoid underground dwellers. And then, was it The Man with Two Brains? Uh, Man with Two Brains, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Right Stuff, um... A generic tape called Thursday Nights. Interesting, interesting. And uh, but yeah, the all of them. It was must see TV a thing in '86 yet? Uh, was Cos- Cosby on oh, Thursday Night? Oh, for Nights sure, yet? you're right. That was it, and that's why it says Thursday Night and not the Cosby Show because black, of the whole Cosby it's black, thing. It's a black family, so they're probably that's, recording Cosby in a different exactly world and stuff like what, that. The good call, man, because I've been trying to figure that one out. I take that back, by the way. You don't have to be black to like the Cosby and Cosby show in a different world. Well, sure, sure. But that's very clearly what the reference is without mentioning Cosby. Yeah, Yeah, we don't want to. That word's not something you want to bring up very much, just like the Michael Jackson reference in this film. Um, But but Hands Across America, for people who don't know, was a, I guess, charity campaign in 1986 where uh, six and a half million people approximately held hands for 15 minutes from coast to coast in the United States. But what's important about it for this film is is twofold. One, it's the thing that, it's going to be hard for character names, but Little Adelaide, the beginning of the film. Right. It's kind of one of her last experiences with the human world. And it's how, because Hands Across America was meant to raise awareness for famine in Africa, but more probably more importantly for this, homelessness in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so... If it's one of the last things that she's aware of, we're, we're assuming this commercial for Hands Across America, she's probably watching it, right? That it's on well, TV you, in, in you, their home. You can actually see her reflected in the Yes, screen. right. That's right. You see her reflection. And if it's and because of how it plays out at the end of the film, it is how she knows to get awareness of something, right? right and when she's right. a little kid, she's told, oh, if you want people to pay attention to you, one way to do that is Hands Across America. Yes, um, so that becomes very important, but also the fact that it was about that Hands Across America was meant to uh, to, to raise awareness of specifically they said homelessness in the United States does um, does play into the themes of the film quite a bit, you know. So I, I think understanding Hands Across America is is a very important way to start the film. Um, uh, especially as it kind of plays out at the end of the end of the movie, um, and then you get into 
He said in the, in this first act with this family. Well, then you have the the, the little girl wandering from her family, which will, will will play out later, and 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 kind of the just a little bit of dread that you get during that because you you're aware you're watching a horror film. Well, and and, and watching it the second time, did you feel the impact of why he was filming all those people the first time? Oh yeah, the second time, yes. The first time he's very clearly just setting the stage of look at all these strangers, look at how this little girl's wandering off, but then the second time through you realize that's all set up for later. Yes. No, it absolutely isn't at all. Again, it's like I said, the first half hour is the last half hour. Yes. So uh and so then we come and after uh, the little girl goes into the little Adelaide goes into the Hall of Mirrors and then we cut, sees her doppelganger basically disappears we are introduced well one more then we're introduced to a rabbit yes and then a lot of rabbits and then one of the greatest opening musical score pieces i've heard in a while dude i i need this score to come out on vinyl as soon as possible i want to listen to it because the opening it's all of the music is incredible it is the opening theme is just mind melting but here's a little something that my I I threw onto this movie that I don't know if it's intentional or whatever, but when they're on, when they get to the beach and the family is walking across the beach, the music reminded me so much of the Jawas walking across Tatooine. <laughs> okay, I don't know, but I'd have to think about that part. Oh my gosh! That. And I didn't pick it up till the second viewing, but man, yeah. just all throughout the music is gorgeous. It is. I, I it's one of those films that I bought the score while I was watching the credits on my on, <laughs> on, on iTunes. Um, so then we're introduced to Adelaide, Gabe, Zora, and Jason, um, who are our lead family. Um, one thing that I think is eh, interesting to note about this film coming off of the hills of Get Out is this is not a movie about race, um, at least not in the clear-cut way to Get Out. Was. Yeah, not not as overtly. There are certainly moments, no. though, and we'll, we'll get to well, one in a minute. Well, what I would say about it, though, is it is, and this goes to, and I think you commented on this quite well in your post, um, quite bluntly, which I liked, actually, about Jordan Peele's comments about casting black actors in his movies. Yes. The film's not necessarily about race, but it is culturally black. The family is culturally black. And, yes. And, and the film is as well. And that's important. Um, I'm going to bring up a line real quick from the Oscars. The, not the last Oscars, but the Oscars before that. Uh, America's sweetheart, Camille Nanjiani, who was uh, <laughs> up, up for a, uh, I, I love the man, who was up for a, an Academy Award, you know, against Jordan Peele for uh, screenplay, said uh, this on the Oscars. Some of my favorite movies are movies, and for people who don't know, Camille Nanjiani is Pakistani. For some of my movie, some of my favorite movies are movies by straight white dudes about straight white dudes. Now straight white dudes can watch movies starring me, and you can relate to that. It's not hard. I've done it my whole life. Yeah, and that's the thing. And you commented on it. By having a black family at the center of this, it does not change the. Uh, it does not change the message of the film. It does not change the the, the telling of the film. And it doesn't it's, change my ability as an old white dude to relate to it. Absolutely. And uh, we'll get to the scene that I felt was the most relatable, which has to do with that, which is the I Got Five On It scene in the car. Um, the I Got Five On It song, which uh, I find it funny that so much has been made out of the use of the song. Um, 
in the film uh, trying to figure out what it means uh because if you listen to the song uh it's it's uh i got five on it is a uh, song by the loonies fully known as looney tunes but i think warner brothers uh lawyers had something to say about that um it's just about doing drugs wall to wall that song is about smoking weed drinking 40s and smoking weed there's no hidden meaning to it um but what i found very relatable about that scene when they're in the car and uh, i got five on it comes on the radio and they're all singing along with it you know because it's a classic um winston duke has my favorite line where the daughter says it's about drugs and he says it's not about drugs it's just a dope song which i find hysterical because if you put a different emphasis or word it's just a dope song um <laughs> right i love that but i can just imagine myself when my girls are older driving along and be like, no, honey, it's not about heroin. Maybe Mr. Brownstone was just a really good dancer. <laughs> like, it, it was such a relatable moment because eventually we have to come to terms with the fact that most of the music we like is about drugs and, and violence and fucking. Yeah. And and that songs I play around my kids, like, you know, you know, this band Alice in Chains, no, honey, it's not about smack and killing yourself. It's just all about smack and killing yourself. So... Uh, I thought that was a very relatable moment with the film, but it also, uh, loonies were from Oakland and this is a Northern California family. So I think it's important to kind of place it with that. And then also, um, uh, there's a, which also, by the way, uh, uh, continuing from last year, this is like the fourth film and basically the last calendar year plus that it has Oakland is an important part of the film in a way, black Panther, uh, Sorry to Bother You and Blind Spotting last year were all Oakland-based films, uh, at least partially. Um, but more than anything, it, that that song is, if you did that in a movie and it was a white family, it might be, as we see later, it might be Good Vibrations. Sure. <laughs> right? I mean, although, to be fair, I grew up on hip-hop too, but it could be, you know, so I thought, uh, but that was the film, that was the moment where the family kind of came together for me, although I think there's a clue in that scene. But um, but I love the fact that that in this first half hour, and real quick for people who've seen it, here's thing. Here's just a list of some of the things he sets up in the first act. Um, Zara runs track and field. Zora runs track and field. Um, Zora asks if she can drive while she's on this trip. Uh, one that I saw coming: the flare gun. Yes, when yes. Having the, um, you see uh, at one point Adelaide picks up a rabbit doll that's been left in the cabin. Uh, Jason's closet trick, where he gets locked in the closet. Yeah. Um, uh, Hands Across America, clearly. Talking about Josh's new car. Tim Heidecker's new car. Um, The problem with the boat's engine. The problem with its steering. Uh, The very opening with the tunnels. Uh, And then, yeah, like the videotapes and things like that. And there's a whole bunch more things that are all just in there in the first act. Like, it's that seem organic. You know, they seem like this natural thing. Oh, he just plays this game in this house and he accidentally gets caught in the closet. You're yeah, like, well, none, of, none of it comes across as clunky. No, it's all integrated into the process of meeting this family and their friends. Right. And it, but it all comes back. It all pays off. It all pays off. He sets it up, he knocks it down. And that comes from, in my opinion, his comedic abilities. They're just set up some punchlines. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Wow. Set up punchlines. Set up punchlines. Every once in a while, he comes back to it a third time, kind of as a tag, like he would in a stand-up routine. Sure. But it's just set up some punchlines. And that that's what I felt Get Out had as well, was a meticulous attention to that 
structure, um, you know, of bringing things back. Even the owl in the haunted house. Yeah. We get it again later. And we, we get and it we, again later when she smacks the shit out of the baseball bat. It's so funny because it's not important to the plot whatsoever, but for the Mm-mm. audience, it's a little moment of victory because we know that damn owl scared her earlier, and it scared us too. Yeah, but it didn't scare her earlier. In, uh, it scared someone else earlier. Well, right, exactly. Yeah, but we don't know at the time. But um, so, so we're introduced to the family, and we know that that Adelaide has some kind of, and, and I think the movie does a good job. You know, barring if you if you picked up on it at the beginning, the fact that she was traumatized by this thing, and we don't know what this thing was that traumatized right. her back then, um, other than seeing someone who looked like her. Well, it's essentially presented as she, you know, because you can understand little kid trauma, even if nothing happened. Yes. It, it it could have had a big effect on her. We all, when we were kids, experienced things right. that upset us, you know, maybe not to the degree shown in this movie, obviously, but we all went through our own little traumas when we were kids, so you can immediately latch on to the idea that just being separated for 15 minutes... Uh, you know, could could have had some kind of effect, but then also that what's so brilliant about it is at the same time as parents, we see her father saying it was just fifteen minutes. What what's the big deal? Yeah. And kind of relate to that as well, because we know yes, exactly. As parents, yeah. we've all had those little moments where, like, you look back and you're like, "Oh, I shouldn't have let that happen. I shouldn't have done that. I should have looked closer when he was on the slide. I should have like." But it's okay. It's fine. What's the big deal? Like, you have to rationalize those things because your kids are tough. They're going to grow up. They're going to be fine. But as parents, we have this sort of ongoing battle with with guilt yep. and reasonableness. People who don't have kids, just to let you know, when you do have kids, if you ever do, you don't have to. I don't – you don't have sure, to. Sure, sure. If you do, you'll learn that your parents didn't know what the fuck they were doing either. Right. Absolutely. I actually <laughs> had that conversation with my mom yesterday where we – yeah. like. You, you're, and that's the other thing is is going forward with your parents, if you're fortunate enough that they're still around when you're a parent, you'll have yeah. a lot of conversations about, well, I guess this is resolved now because I understand. Yeah. No, it, there is. You just go like, oh, they were just making this up too. Right. They had no idea. When they, when, they, when they did that thing, they didn't know what they were doing. No. They were, you know, they made they mistakes. They were just trying. You're just trying your They're best trying. to make it. Just trying your best, as Chris Rock said, to keep you off the pole. Um, and real, you know. real quick, one one mm-hmm. thing. Uh, since we're we're still talking about kind of the opening of yeah. the movie, I didn't write about it because I just couldn't. The written word sometimes is not appropriate for. Uh, you mm-hmm. just can't get something out. Uh, the conversation between Adelaide and uh, I can't remember Kitty. Kitty, yeah, on the beach. Played by the great Elizabeth Moss. Is yeah, she's fantastic in this. Uh, but that per- conversation perfectly named is so perfect because it's it's weird. And the first time around, I wasn't even sure if they knew each other. Right. Uh, the second viewing, I realized that yeah, they're family friends, but it's there's a certain relatability that just doesn't kick in sometimes. And no, I, I, I yeah, think it's I, I, the I, I, awkwardness, sorry. awkwardness of interracial relationships that can happen. Yes, no, I think that plays part of, it, and that comes from the the um, the cultural aspect, right? It's just they don't have the same touchstones necessarily. Yes. You know, it, it, their lives are pretty similar, 
Um, and I think the true friendship, of course, lies in their husbands. Yeah. Um, I don't think they would be hanging out if it weren't for their husbands hanging out together. Um, and so that that plays into that. But even then, you know, it it it, it is interesting uh, to see that scene. You know, but we're also watching Lupita in that first half hour be a good mother and and maybe a little too overprotective. And we'll talk about that later. Sure. But um, uh, but but she is she's also very distant. But we the first time around that scene, however, you do kind of excuse it because you know she does not want to be at this beach. Right. Because last time she was here, we don't know what happened entirely, but something happened, right? And, 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 and sometimes it doesn't take much to make you not want to revisit, yes. you know, in, anything. So again, yes. it's very relatable. I, I haven't had tequila in fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> so the the so I I yeah you're right. And so we we establish the family, and we have that great scene in the car where they're singing along. Uh, I'd like to point out for a later point that Jason doesn't seem to be able to keep on rhythm. We'll get to that later. Interesting. Um, okay. Uh, the, for that point. So then we get to and then let's skip ahead. Then their evil fucking doppelgangers show up, cutting to the chase. Right. In right. what I think is the most terrifying sequence of the movie. The moment in the movie, see, the first time I saw it, I saw it with my buddy Aaron, and there were like five people there because we saw it at noon the day it opened. Well, let me let me tell you real quick about my experience the first time that I saw the movie. Um, I did see it during the day, and I was the only white person in a theater almost half full, oh, maybe wow. a little more than half full, of black folks. Awesome. And it made it an experience for me because prior to the movie, you know how you get the commercials and stuff? Uh, I was very, very cognizant of how many white people were in those commercials. Yeah. Or the, la- yeah. the lack of lack people thereof. of color in yeah. those commercials. And and that's awesome. <laughs> it's Yeah, it was perfect. And it was an interesting experience sitting there going, man, this this is... This is how people live every day. And you see, my friend, we don't yeah. experience it. No, I see. My friend uh, Aaron is African American, and he's a fan of of Peel, except for uh, he will probably hate him to the day he dies because of a Aaron, um, which is apparently a joke from Key and Peel, where people call people named Aaron a Aaron, and. Uh, <laughs> Because uh, the extra A, and uh, so sure. that's the one other thing I know about Key and Peele, and he's not a fan of that. But um, but then when I went and saw it the second time, I went to um, theater down the street from me. Does uh, Tuesday night cheap movie like seven dollars no matter all day, and so I went saw it a month after it came out in a packed crowd after seeing it the first time with only five people. Nice. And it was a very different experience. And the moment when, I think it's Zora says, there's a family in the driveway. See, there's Zora Jason says it. That there's a family in the driveway, or there are yeah. people in the driveway. The whole audience, that's when the whole audience started to freak out. Yeah. Not before they even saw them. It was the line. Just out of nowhere, this movie, there's a family in the driveway. And everyone was like, oh, shit. Well, and it's so creepy because... It one if you have seen the trailer, you're aware that this is the central issue of the movie. But two, it's it's nighttime; they're all in bed or getting ready to go to bed, so it's late. So why is a whole family like? There's a man in the driveway. Wouldn't have been yeah. quite as creepy. 
No, no. The, 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 for some reason, you're right, the word family. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> why, why the word family really... Yeah, it, it's really creepy. And so then we're, we're, we're catered to what I think is a simultaneously funny and frightening scene with Winston Duke carrying a bulk of the work, um, playing the dad that, you know, isn't a guy, but his family is in danger, and so he's going to do his best to be a tough guy, right? Yes. Um, again, something that I really related to um, is someone who would really have no idea how to handle himself in that situation. Oh, yeah. But as you know, as a, a father, when you put your family on the line, you do what you got to do, you know? So well, in, in – uh... I, I don't. I don't know if you're keeping up with the gifted at all. Uh, no, uh, I, I really enjoy it as I think the best adaptation of X Men. But there is a big, big, powerful dad moment in that. That that yeah. much like Winston Duke and us. Like I, you, you see yourself in these things now, and you wonder, like, well, what would I be doing? And yeah, probably about what Winston Duke does. Yeah, trying but not doing it very well. Right. Right. You know. So eventually, they get into the house. And, um, and and it's during- brutal how they do because it, you know yeah. it get the scene where Abraham yanks the bat away from Winston through the door yeah made me gasp and that's very movie monster it, like it, that's a very movie monster moment it absolutely you know? is but you yeah. he he just he lost like that early in the movie he lost already because the the only yeah. thing he had that bat was all he had yes. and it's gone yeah. Yeah, no, and it disappears out the wind, out the door, almost magically, like like it was yes. snagged by a monster. And it's important to remember it's not a monster; it's a human being. Right, <laughs> that's important to remember. But it's but it, in that moment, it feels like a monster. And uh, she tells Zora to get her shoes on in case she's got to go run. Yes, um, which I thought was great. Again, we're 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 setting it up and knocking it down. Um, and then, uh, then we get the scene where my audience did not know how to react to it the second time around, especially, which was Red's speech when she sits the family down. We're introduced to the evil doppelgangers: um, Red, Abraham, Umbre, and Pluto. And when Lupita starts talking, now there's been a little controversy about the way she speaks in this movie about how Red speaks because she's. Some people thinking she's using something called spasmodic symphona, which is a real condition. Oh, interesting. Uh, now, I'll never, I'm never going to argue with someone who suffers from the condition. I don't understand. I don't know their struggle. I don't want to do anything to diminish it, but there's been a little controversy about it. What it came across to me and, and what the movie bears out is that it came across to me as someone who hasn't spoken much in 30 years. That's That's how I took it. You know, that she hasn't used her voice in a very long time. Yeah. Um, and I think it's effective. So for people who, who, who thought it were personally offended by it, again, I'm not going to argue with them about it. Um, but for me, it was very effective. Um, but my audience didn't know how to feel. My audience kind of laughed. There were, there were a few moments where the audiences that I saw it with laughed where I was horrified. And I, I get it. I can see it. I can see... I, honestly, I think there are a couple of points where what we're seeing is so uncomfortable that our reaction is to laugh. Yes. Yeah. Because the the tethered, all of the tethered, the way that they vocalize, <laughs> yeah. is yeah. it's a very fine line between funny and horrifying, especially Tim Heidecker. Yes, and I think later it's supposed to be funny. 
It's yeah. Well, with Heidecker, it's supposed to be. Uh, see, because it's not that far off from how that fucking dude talked when he wasn't <laughs> like <laughs> well, the real person talking. And that's the thing is we see his you know his tethered, uh, which I, I don't. Uh, well, technically, yeah. I don't know that we got names for for much of. Uh, the only one like, I have is Kitties. Okay. Because there's actually a little joke in there. But okay. Yeah. Um, but his tethered is aping how it's been forced to behave for the past, yeah. you know, 40 years or whatever. Right. So it is, while a its douche. intent is to murder, uh, oh, Gabe. shit, what's the dad's name? Gabe. Gabe. While its intent is to murder him, all it knows is this this behavior of this goofy asshole. I mean, it's a bro zombie. It's such a right. like. It's it's such a. It, I just yeah. I you're right. I absolutely love the fact that his doppelganger's still a douchebag. But it is well when he does the psych when when Kitty's on the <laughs> yeah, ground yeah, dying yeah, yeah. and reaches yes. down. Oh, so good. So but good. it's it, like yes, it's funny, but at the same time, it's horrifying and is absolutely the point of the movie. So we get back to when we meet them real quick, and I think the most important line in that scene, um, Red gives us a little speech about a girl with a shadow and how, you know, while the girl had good things in life, the shadow had bad things in life, to sum it up. you know. Right. Uh, right. And, and if you watch earlier in the film, there's a moment where Lapita um, eats a strawberry at the house. Yes. It kind of reminds me of a scene in, uh, it was either an episode of Firefly or in the movie, I think it was in the pilot of Firefly where Kaylee eats a strawberry and in the world of Firefly, fresh fruit is just not a thing. Right. The way Lupita eats the strawberry, it looks like a woman who grew up eating raw rabbit. Sure. And hasn't forgotten what it tastes like. Oh, that's very interesting. Well, It was just a really subtle moment, but she just dove into that strawberry. Well, what's what's interesting, and this is what I noticed that second time, is the rest of the family is eating some kind of crappy fast food. Yeah. And she's sitting there eating strawberries. Yeah. Um, but the most important line in the scene by far is when Gabe asks, who are you people? And what does Red say? We are Americans. We are Americans. Now, this works on a lot of levels. The, the, this, the, the surface level works on hands across America. Sure. They're Americans, and they're going to put their hands across America. That is part of it. It's also going to the themes of the film that we'll, we'll sum up when we get to it, the idea that they're not recognizable as Americans to your average American family, to your average American person doesn't recognize them as American. Yes. I think it's, is very weighted, but they didn't say we're, we're you. We didn't say we're your shadows. They didn't say anything like that. That was already kind of out there. Yeah. We're Americans. That's very important. Jordan Peele is telling a film. He is an African American. So while there are themes in the film that apply worldwide, Themes of class, themes of um, uh, uh, poverty, uh, uh, systemic uh, poverty, things like that. Those things can apply worldwide. He's telling a specifically American tale, and I think that's important. Well, to the point where I took it as this this phenomenon of the tethered is a is specifically an American thing. Yeah, and that's quite this, possible. This We're isn't not happening it. all over the world. Yes, and, and as we find out later, it was created by government, some well, kind of system, some well, kind well, of program. Here's, well, the, yeah. here's the thing, is right. is the real Adelaide's speculation later on, because she very specifically says, I think. Yes. So we we yeah. as the audience, are sort, we are left to take that or not. 
So then we have the sequence where basically all the doppelgangers and their real and our our normal, we'll say counterparts, split up basically into pairs, right? Um, where uh, uh, Gabe and Abraham go to beat the shit out of each other um, in a very similar. What was the? It reminded me of it was a, it was awesome, but uh, what's the Friday the Thirteenth Seven where there's a lot having to do with the lake. Um, I don't know, the girl, the one with the psychic abilities. But anyway, but it reminded me a little bit of that. Um, uh, uh, Jason goes off with Pluto to play. Um, uh, Zara runs from uh, Umbre, her Umbre, which, which, by the way, means the darkest part of the shadow. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and she was definitely the darkest one. And then, uh, and then Red sits around with uh, Adelaide. Now, I don't want to, since we don't have a ton of time, I don't want to blow through every beat of that. But as, a, as as someone who enjoys horror films, did you find all that stuff tense and scary? I'm getting getting up to the point where they're reunited. They basically there's I, a giant. There's four different sequences that go on and culminate with them being reunited as a family. To me, that was. I felt like Jordan Peele was playing with the idea of horror movies, and he was giving us several different horror tropes at the same time, uh, very consciously. And he did them all effectively, but at that point, I was like, huh, this is really weird because I feel like this stuff should be happening in the last half hour of the movie. Yes, you're and, right. Yeah, that's what I was at. Yeah. We're already to it, so while everything was shot and scripted and paced very, very effectively, as it would have been in a standard horror movie... I knew again. This is my movie brain kicking in. I knew where we were in the movie, so I knew there wasn't going to be. Any, you know, it was possible that Gabe would die. That was the only one I was fearful. For. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, By the way, I love that he didn't. Oh, I, I yeah. I, well, I love that at the end the family is together, uh, or or yeah. the family such as we have known them yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in one way. But yeah, I was just wondering because that sequence. I don't think there's much to talk about. As much thematically, just no, no. as far it's a, as this. it's a tribute to horror movies. That's yeah. all that yeah. sequence is because it's what we, as the audience, expected. We just didn't expect it so soon. And it pays off some of those things. It pays off the closet. It pays off Jason's magic trick. It pays off her running. Right. It it it, it brings a lot of the things that we brought into it early. So then they're reunited, and then here's the part I think that took you. Then we cut to Kitty and Jason after the family defeats their doppelgangers, kills one of them. And then get away in uh, uh, Crawdaddy, Gabe's boat. Um, yes, which is awesome. Then we cut to Kitty and Jason in their house. The white couple who seems to have it all, or who seems to be a step ahead on uh, Gabe and Adelaide as far as you know. His boat's nicer. His car's nicer. Their house is bigger. Um, and we're met. And we're if we didn't know ahead of time, we discovered that Jason truly is a douchebag. Uh, yeah, Josh, Josh, sorry, Josh, Josh, Josh truly is a douchebag. Um, the when his wife comes out and asks him if there's something scary out in the woods, the scariest thing he can come up with for his blonde white wife is OJ. Right. So that was a nice little telling. Uh, yeah, which joke. I don't, I don't know how timely that really was, but I get it. I, I it, get what they were doing there. He's been in the news a lot more lately because there were there was the the miniseries and the documentary and now he's out of prison again. So it, it felt appropriate to me. But just the idea that like that would be the scariest thing this douchebag could come up with would be OJ. Yeah. Um, 
And then we get them getting, and then we get one of my favorite musical moments in the movie where he has it play the Beach Boys, which uh, hit their version of Siri or uh, of Alexa. I don't remember what um, what they called it. Uh, has him play some Beach Boys, and I'm a Beach Boys fan, but they could not be any whiter. Yeah, and then, well, and that was that was very clearly the intent there. Yeah, what's and the then, whitest music on the planet? Right. And then they come in, and we find out, which we did not realize, was that everyone has a doppelganger. It's not just our melee family. And see, to me, that was the big shock of the movie. That yeah. was the big... I won't even call it a twist, because all it is is yeah. the... It's it's just the plot unfolding, but... that Because I fully expected the doppelgangers to, to show up at Josh and Kitty's house and kill them. I didn't think there were going to be Josh and Kitty doppelgangers. Right, and it, and it and it helps explain why that previous sequence we had with the family, you know, the the escape and why it felt like it was happening too early. Yes, that there was because, so much more that's not the whole movie. to go and also uh there's a moment on the boat where Abraham has Gabe, you know, in the big garbage bag or whatever and you hear something from the shore you hear one of the tethered from the shore grunting yeah. that it's not it's obviously not red it doesn't it can't be either one of the kids they don't sound like that but again it's you're in the the thick of it you you immediately cut to you know gabe tearing through the little hole in the garbage bag so you don't have a whole lot of time to think about it but you realize that 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 uh abraham was communicating with the josh doppelganger at that point yeah, the second time through, I totally picked that up. Right, um, the first time it was just kind of odd, yeah. but you're you're so yeah. caught up in events, you don't have time to consider it. So Kitty and her husband and her family uh, and her two twin daughters, which I I'm, I saw the girls in the opening credits, I go, oh, creepy twins. Yeah, yeah and, absolutely. Um, uh, all get murdered uh, by their doppelgangers, and then our lead family show up in the crawdaddy to uh, come get help. And this is probably my favorite sequence in the movie. Um, one, you have uh, Elizabeth Moss, who's on the ground dying, crawling towards the husband that she very much would like to kill herself, but sure. crawling towards him, calling for help in what is a cheap joke, but one that made me laugh either way, when she asks Alexa to play, to call the police. Call the police, yes. And instead it plays... Fuck the police by NWA. This works in a couple of ways. One, the black family shows up. It's got to have a NWA as a soundtrack, not the Beach Boys. Right. Two, the police are non-existent in this movie. Right. The, we are told that they're going to be there in 14 minutes. And 14 are, minutes later... They are 14 minutes away the entire movie. Yes. And there's something to be said about that. For sure. Um, for, for, for children of the 90s, uh, 911 is a joke, I believe a wise man once said. Yes. And, well, um, 911 is a joke in your town. In your town. Right, exactly. Yeah. So I, I like the fact that, 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 but it also gives a, you know, as someone who grew up also listening to, you know, NWA and West Coast gangster rap, it, it also gave a, a proper soundtrack for the scene that follows, where yes. the family who just, you know, they know what's going on. They know there's tough shit going on. The kids, it, I love the kids in this scene. I love the fact that dad lures away the douchebag away from the thing to the boat. The mom gets kidnapped, 
And so in order to save the mom, the kids go in. Which, by the way, when they yank her in the door, that is the most Scooby-Doo fucking scene (laughs) in the entire movie. I loved it, but it was was. so absurd. But I love Zora and Jason coming in, moving slow. Zora's got the, um, what does she have? She has the golf golf club. club. She's got the putter. And Jason's got some kind of meteorite. A geode. Yeah, some kind of geode. A geode on a stick. Right. But I love how they come in and uh, and are like, well, I guess we got to go save mom. Yes. (laughs) And and how, and the look, and and, and listen, Zora gets a little thrill out of beating the show, those twins. Let's not lie. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, yeah. uh, But I think that scene is insanely clever. And, And again, by having the NWA on the soundtrack, it, um, it really, it, it, it's just, it's just more than anything. It's just a funny gag of uh, changing the soundtrack before the Black family shows up. Um, they're able to defeat the evil, uh, the evil doppelgangers this time, kill all of them, and then the well, music. Well, kinda, yeah, because yeah. um, we have a then, very important scene to to get to after. Right, but then what we have that is interesting though is. We have a moment where it chills out, where yeah, what song comes back on the radio? They, I got five on it. They play again. I got five on it. Comes back on, and that is the song that is the song playing when you see the family in the car earlier that they're all jamming to, and so the 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 story, their story or their dynamic, kind of comes full circle, and they're now a coherent team for the rest of the film, and. They're the the family and the family is kind of they're almost it almost feels like they're out of danger at that moment. Yeah, right. It really does. Um, They're chilling well, back, listening to a classic song about getting high. You, you, <laughs> you know? know, you know that Red Umbra and Pluto are still out there, right? But you really don't know. Like, well, wait, how is this all going to come back together? What is what is our ending going to be? Right. And we go into the TV footage. Then they turn on the TV. Now all of a sudden, it's it's almost Night of the Living Dead. And here's where the movie kind of yeah takes on this grander idea. I mean, we've gotten a glimpse of it being bigger because of having Kitty and Josh doubles. But now the idea that it's happening all over. Right. And this is where the film kind of you know like I said what what Get Out is about is a little more cut and dry. But the the we might as well get into it real quick with what the tethered are. The tethered, you know, according to the film, or at least according to Red, right there, they're duplicates made of that everyone above has a duplicate below that is tethered to them. According to Red, they were created as a government experiment to try to control people. Experiment to try to control people, which, which but, is obviously a, I guess, metaphor for the ghetto. Yeah, and for for a lot of things, and. And that they, that that uh, they were, but that when they were created, they were only created. It turns out that they could recreate the body, but that they split the soul with the person. Well, I don't think uh, they split it. They just the tethered they simply shared. didn't have souls. Well, they they actually say in it because she actually said they shared a soul. Um, but I do think the people about get the lion's share of it um, would be my, would, at the very least. I did find that line to be a little weird when he said shared the soul, but, but that they, they have these, that everyone has this thing below that is a, a mirror of themselves and that the government eventually, or whoever did this abandoned them 
which I think is important. It, it, it is a yes. problem created by the system. The system then ignored. Yes. Um, which, if you look at the 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 opening with Hands Across America, can we, you know, the people that are ignored in society, the homeless, the pot, the poor, people that we ignore in this society that are that are, I'd say at least from Peel's point of view, created by the system. That the system it, it helps create these people that are forgotten, that are not without soul in, in our in our world, of course, but that are um, uh, that are that are viewed as less than. Well, that don't have the the what the rest of us have. They don't get to sit down and watch TV all the time. They don't get the comforts that right. your average American enjoys. That. Uh, it, right. It's it's very much about the haves and the have-nots, or, or what we think of as the average American, right? At the very least, you know, because because the word that comes to my mind, and it's a word that's a very hot button word the past couple of years, but I think if if I had to boil the the movie down to one word that's about, I would say the word is privilege. Um, that 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 the idea of that her her speech about the shadow is all about privilege. It's all about these people, you know, that that. While you were eating great food, and I keep coming back to this image because it's disgusting, raw, bloody rabbit. Right. Right? Uh, they're eating scraps. To, they're doing whatever they can do to survive. Um, so to me, the tethered are, 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 are just a, uh, a metaphor for the – that's why the film feels to me more to be about class. Yeah. And about privilege and about the, the systems that keep people down – that create poverty, um, and that when people are no longer of a use to those systems, that they're just abandoned. Well, um, and it's to, to break it down very simply, the idea is that I grew up with working parents yes. who wanted me to be educated, who wanted me to live a certain life, who wanted me to have certain benefits, and who were capable of giving me those benefits. Uh, if I had grown up in an entirely different situation without access to the, the luxury that I enjoyed, without access to the possibility of uh, certain types of schooling or certain, mm-hmm. even just basic comforts, you know, I, I, with, without the USS flag, even, right. even something as ridiculous as that, I would be an entirely different person and society would look at me in an entirely different way, regardless of the color of my skin. Right, and that's privilege. Right. I mean, it's really what that is. And, yes. and, it, and, it, and the reason they look like – the reason they're doppelgangers is because they're For us. us. They're exactly. Americans. And also it could be any one of us given the circumstances. And the, so, the movie makes this point by the supposed twist that Adelaide is one of the tethered and that she got out of the oppressive situation that she was in and right. is one of us now. And I see that as actually more of a negative in a way. Um, uh, when we get to that, the idea that she she doesn't she's turned her back on her people because she's found out. You know what's cool about privilege? Everything. Well, the, to me, the negative about it is not is is uh, and it's brought up very specifically. You could have taken me with you. That as well. Yes. That, no. It's, well, it's that, not that leaving the oppressive situation is a bad thing. It's that leaving no. it and not doing anything about those that you left behind. Right. 
Like, because the, uh, here, here's my issue with the word privilege is it's often used as a pejorative term. Right. Um, I want everybody to enjoy what I enjoy. Yes. Uh, I, I don't think, I don't think it's right to look down on somebody who, who has enjoyed privilege. I think it's right to want to raise everybody up. When people use privilege, they're more talking, they're, they're talking about the problem with privilege comes with a lack of awareness. Right. Right. It's not knowing um, that you've been helped by these things. And, and right? that's definitely been part of my sort of personal growth over the last several years yeah. is sort of recognizing like, oh, I I did have advantages and, and whether or not I feel a certain way about having those advantages, right. there's right. no denying that my life is different because of it. Right. And so, I mean, I, I just think it's, Important to keep that in mind. That, that, that you're right. It's a very haves or have nots. It's a very. Um, uh, I'm a you know not a surprise. I'm, I'm a fan of our former president, um, but Barack Obama got famous in 2006 with a speech about how there are not two Americans, and um, uh, I think this movie is saying otherwise. Um, yeah. I think this movie is very clearly stating that there are two Americas, and um, there may be not the two Americas that the news. Is telling us that there are maybe it's a different maybe plc is a different divide than red and blue or you know conservative or or liberal i think plc is a different thing that defi- that divides this country um and so i just think that's interesting um now these people now would think that they would be sympathetic um because they are people that are downtrodden because if they are standing in for people that are poor that are that are hungry, that are homeless, that that they would be um, would be more sympathetic to them. But the movie, but in the movie, they're the monsters. Well, right. But I think, but that's are they? Where the movie is challenging you is you have to consider them and understand that they're monsters, but it's not of their own doing. Yep. And that they're not. And, and it, you know, we started off this conversation by saying her evil double. They're not evil. Their no. their situation, their circumstance of living, uh, right. is what has made them how they are. And how they are isn't evil; it's just a product of of what they've been forced to endure. Well, we know we're dealing with a horror director who knows his classics. Yes. So you have to ask, who's the real villain, the monster or Victor Frankenstein? And and that's what it kind of comes down to. And right? that's the thing is really nobody. The, we we have two villains in this movie. In my yeah. opinion, right. uh, we have Adelaide, yep. who just ran and sacrificed this other human in order for her life to be better, and right. left her people behind. And right. we have whoever is responsible for the tethered, which is very real because as Americans, it's it's really hard to point a finger at who's responsible for the shit we're in right now. Like, granted, yes, there's a figurehead that everybody can throw stones at, deservedly so, but it's not... Donald Trump isn't the reason we're where we're at. He isn't helping, but... No, no, he's not helping. It goes back so much further, and it's, it's... You just shake your fist at... What? Well, it's one of the big questions of what do you... What happens when it's the system? Right. Who do you point your fingers at when it's the system that does this? Right. You know, when, when, when people talk about 
anything right now. We'll use racism as an example, even though I don't think that's what this film is about. Being racist, not liking someone of a different, of a different race, I don't care. You can do that. That's fine. I'm, I'm not probably going to be friends with you. That's fine. The problem is in the system, is systemic racism. Yes. Um, the problem is systemic sexism. It, 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 you know, all the other things will fall into place afterwards, but but the, the things that are holding people down... Um, you can't point to one person. You you have you know two hundred and almost fifty because we're old years of history. Um, that that have created this. It reminded me a, a little bit in their revolution, which is kind of what it is, right? They're kind of uprising. Oh, absolutely. It reminded me a little bit of the French Revolution. I remember um, a few years ago, I was in Paris with my wife on vacation, and we went to Versailles. You know the the famous palace of Marie Antoinette and Louis and stuff. And um, I looked around Versailles, and it is amazing, right? It's gorgeous. It's huge. The gardens are beautiful. It's got these orange groves in a place where it cannot grow oranges, but they spend so much water just to make them grow there. Um, it's got, like, five different homes that, like, the king would go to, like, his third home because the second home was getting too busy. Marie Antoinette built her own little replica of an Austrian village there to remind her home so she could go play house, basically. And I looked around this place, and I said, this place is amazing. And I would have cut their fucking heads off too. Yeah. And and that's what this felt like to me was was their methods in this. The 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 others' methods are not something I can necessarily get behind. Um, at least as they were, they're they're violent. They're they're, but at a certain point, when do you tell people to? And this is something that I think applies to real life. When do you tell people to stop being patient? Right. And change. This is their lives now. You know, and, and, and so I thought, so I think the tethered can be a metaphor for a lot of different things. And they can also just be, and this is what I really like in film, they can also just be kind of scary movie monsters. Um, you know, like if you choose to just take it as it is, there's still this creepy sci-fi idea. And that, that's the thing is that I, I obviously this engaged both of our brains quite yeah. well. Yeah. But also it works at face value. Yeah. Yeah, no, it does. It, it, and that's the thing of, that I really enjoyed was I I genuinely enjoyed the film. And that's an important thing to say as we talk about things, these different things. I genuinely enjoyed the movie itself. I found it uh, constantly entertaining. I really like the characters. Uh, as someone who doesn't tend to get scared by horror movies, I didn't, you know, I wasn't jumping out of my seat, but I was creeped out plenty of times. I was tense plenty of times. Well, um, I, I enjoyed its overall presentation of horror. There weren't many times yeah. where I was really, uh, you know, there weren't any jump scares, really. There no. weren't. The owl, the owl at the beginning might but, be the biggest one. Yeah, right, right. And that was fun, and that was cool, and that was another yeah. point where you realize Peel knows his shit. He's, he knows what that owl would sound like if Merlin's Woods were a real thing. See, um, one, of, one of my biggest fears is looking towards, like, is sitting in my couch or whatever and looking at the window and there be someone standing there. Sure. That's one of the scary, like, just looking at me. That's one of the scariest, like, images to me. Like, if I was if I was to turn around now and look at my window and those, well, I'm on floor up, so that would be real scary. But <laughs> um, so the images of them in the driveway, of these people just appearing at your house, that stuff really creeped me out. That stuff got under my skin a little well, bit. And I think that's... That uh, that kind of fear is a lot of where my problem with like gray aliens comes from is because they're so often depicted as being 
much more in your proximity right. than they should be. That's right. sort of looking in the window, standing over your bed. Uh, that's yeah. that's a very specific yeah. kind of dread. Yeah, like uh, uh, like the gentleman in Hush, the Buffy episode. Right, right. Um, that uh, sort, sort of, of yeah. So I know we don't have a ton of time. So let's blast through this now. Yeah. So we get so we get the family gets back together, um, and they play. I got five on it. They bring that back as kind of a symbol of the family kind of reuniting and, and chilling out. And we find this happening, and then they go for some reason that I don't quite understand. They go. They drive back to the beach. Well, there's a very significant scene prior to that. They leave. They they get Josh's new car, which is right. a, a, a little moment of family of, of morbid family humor. Yes, uh, yes. And Adelaide has to go back in to get the key, and she yeah. finds one of the twins is still alive. Yes, right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. She has to take care of business, and Jason walks in just as she's finishing her off. And really? this is the first cue we see that gives us, like, wait a minute. That's right. At the beginning, I yeah. was pretty convinced we saw a switch, and she's making noises that are quite reminiscent of all of the tethered. She'll make she'll make a few of them even more clearly later. Yes, but, absolutely. Um, but that yeah, moment no, right it, there, Jason sees yeah. it, and yeah. we are shown Jason's. He takes note of it. He does. He does, and, and so do we. And and I guess that I had forgotten about the beginning, but it does. You know, the second time through, it definitely popped out at me. Yeah. Um, it definitely popped out. And so they get in the car, and I love the little moment where Zora wants to drive again. That was set up in the first like ten minutes where she asked if she could drive. Yes, and. Uh, she says she and I like again I like the morbid humor where she says she has the highest kill count and they get into a little argument over who's killed the most yeah. of them, uh, which I really enjoyed. Again, almost almost you know these are kids growing up on video games, you know like yeah. you know what's their kill streak on 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 you know Call of Duty, you know it's it's like it, it was very much like no I have the highest kill count. It was such a video game phrase, um, and then uh, then there's ones where they where they run into. Um, uh, uh, what's her name? Umbra. Umbra, right? And take her out. And here's our second clue, I think, is when she finally jettisons Umbra from the car and Umbra, Umbra, whatever, and um, uh, Adelaide goes to check on her and she's dying, right? She's clearly dying. She's, she's, her she's back broken is, in half. Yeah. But Adelaide approaches her with sympathy yeah. and with a mother's empathy and a mother's caring. And while f- on first view, that made total sense to me. She's watching a girl who looks like her daughter die. And so as a mother, she would want to comfort her. That makes sense on first viewing. It holds up. On the second viewing, it takes on a whole nother meaning when you know that she is one of them. Yes. Right? She came from the same place. Uh, so then they go back to the beach, right? They go back to Santa Cruz Pier, basically. And not in the way that Frankie Avalon and Annette Finuccello did. No, they do not. If I can make the whitest possible reference. And the bird is clearly not the word. So <laughs> they so they get there. Kids, ask your parents, or maybe your parents' parents at Ooh. this age. I don't know. And speaking of the beach, they get there, uh, and we, we move past it because we got to move past a lot of stuff. But real quick, yeah. I've got to say, the second time through, the guy standing on the beach that Jason sees, I didn't even realize the first time what was up with that. But right. he was the first of the tethered that we saw forming the line. Yes, and yes, I he was the beginning of the line. Didn't even, uh, yeah. the, you know, the first time you don't actually. Know what I didn't. Going get, on. I didn't get that until you just mentioned it. So yeah, he, he's standing there with his hands out, waiting because you realize he's got the red jumpsuit, uh, and he has murdered his 
duplicate because that's who we, who we see getting loaded into the ambulance as yeah, the family uh, arrives at the beach. The Jeremiah eleven eleven yes. guy. Yes. Um, just real quick, you you probably know the Bible better than I do, but I looked up what. Sorry, not Jeremiah. Is Isaiah eleven eleven? No, it's right? Jeremiah. Is Jeremiah eleven eleven? I can't remember 11. off the top of my head. Um, but it's uh, about taking care of. Uh, well, it's about. It's about it? the. It's about no. It's like it's about the covenant between. It's about it's a, it, the, the exact quote is uh, from King James. Thus the Lord hold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry to me, I will not hearken unto them. Oh, okay. It's yeah, about God right threatening. It's about God threatening punishment on the house of Israel for breaking their covenant. Um, so this could be about failing, you know, us failing our fellow man. Yeah. The covenant between the people and the tethered, or as the prophet Jules of Inglewood once said, it's just some cold blooded shit to say to a motherfucker before you <laughs> pop a cap in their ass. <laughs> it's one of those things. Um, but but you're right. We do see that, and then we come back to the beach, and we are confronted by one. We see that the 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 tethered have have definitely been doing some work, yes, and t- taking people out, and that they are also forming this line, holding hands that is oddly reminiscent of Hands Across America. The the red figures of of the uh, advertisement, yes, very specific on the on the the logos and the shirts for Hands Across America. They were red, and uh, and then they are confronted by Pluto. Who I'm not a hundred percent sure I get why sometimes Pluto has to mimic Jason and sometimes he doesn't. Well, it's interesting. There seems to be focus involved, and yeah, that that's yep. that's something we we do have to cover real quick because we have to wonder why young Adelaide, and, and this is another part of the statement of the film. Young Adelaide, why didn't she leave? Why didn't she get out? How couldn't? Because at some point she got out of the golden handcuffs. Uh, at some point, yeah. But but remember, she was unconscious when they brought her. Well, she didn't know the way out, and I feel like the movie did yeah. a good job of showing one that it took a lot to get down there, and two that the Adelaide we'd been watching had been she got down there with ease. Yes, which was very important to note it is very important uh, yeah but also i do wonder if the place itself is oppressive and just the act of escaping from that oppressive environment yeah. allowed the the adelaide that we know it's right. hard to distinguish verbally here. yeah but yeah. it allowed her once she was out of that impressive environment she could flourish Yes. So, no. so is there something yeah. about that environment? Yeah. There's there's a lot to unpack there too. I mean, there's a little Stockholm syndrome. Obviously, there's 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 also just she just I think she's so young. How she you know she doesn't have the she just doesn't have the wherewithal to get out. You know, and sure. She's probably changed for a while. So I agree with you. It's a little bit, but uh, but I think but, there is a, a bit of will involved with that. And I, as we see yeah. later on, when Adelaide yeah. and Red have to mimic each other's dancing. Yes, uh, and I think Jason recognizes that when he wills it, because we first see it in the closet when he wants to distract Pluto with that trick. Yes, is yes. when he learns he can make him raise his hand up. He can make yeah, him no. take his mask off. It's set up quite well. It's not that it's not set up. It's, it's just, just I. There are questions. Yeah, there's some questions, but I love the scene. I love the idea of him backing up into the fire. Um, it's a really, it's a really dramatic scene. Uh, it's also again another sign where Adelaide is watching Jason backing into the fire and doesn't want it. It doesn't want that to happen. And again, on first viewing, 
you look at that and say, well, yeah, again, it's a boy right. that looks like her son. And, and even if not, she's a mother or she's a human being watching a little boy burn. She doesn't want that. Um, On the second but again, viewing, you know that at this point, Adelaide knows what she went through yes. and knows that these could be just people given yeah, it, the yes. opportunity and instead they're dying. And I think it might mean something else, and I'll, I'll throw that at you oh, real, fast, okay. at end, real okay. fast at the end. So then Adelaide, so Jason gets kidnapped um, by Red. Uh, for some reason, Zora and and uh, uh, Gabe decide not to help. And right now, and at this point, Abigail is in Adelaide. Sorry, is in true like Ellen Ripley mode. Yes, right where she like she's fucking she has her fire poker. Yeah, I believe isn't a fire poker uses a weapon to get out too. Trying to remember. Yeah, I, thought, I think I thought, so. Did, does he kill Catherine Keener with one or something? I don't remember. I don't know. But, I need I need to watch it again, yeah. especially after loving yeah. this so much. Yeah. I need to revisit it. So then we then we we get into the finale where where Adelaide follows Red and ostensibly Jason as well down back into the Hall of Mirrors and down and down a giant escalator and way 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 down, down. and I way love down. It. and it takes a long time. Yes. The movie takes its time. Well, and that's the thing is that we we all know how movies work. So the fact that the movie spent that long with it means it was probably at least twice as long as what we saw. He wants us to know it's it's a long way down. Yes. Which, again, take what you will from that. But he wants you to know it's a long way down. And so then we get to Adelaide. We get we get Red's little speech at the, you know, while she's making, you know, which was I thought was a little I know the, not a problem with it. I thought it was a little over, a little oversimplified or a little it cliched. Was, to have her making paper dolls was a little on the t- on the nose. I thought, um, but you know, I mean, she was a kid in this classroom, probably. Well, and the thing is, everything she's about is about putting on a show about displays, about symbolism. So, I mean, it really does make sense that she'd be sitting there making these paper dolls in order to turn around and cut them with the scissors. Like, well, she's setting up a show. That's yeah, sure. she's, she's making that again. So it it works. Yeah, and so so then they then we have the revelation the the realization the revelation that when that sorry Red basically tells us her story of why she came up with the idea for the revolution. We learn that it came from Hands Across America, and it learned and then we also learned that the moment she became the leader of the Untethered it was when she was basically tethered to Adelaide while she had a dance recital. Right. Now, what's important about this is if you go back to the beginning when Allie's parents are talking to the psychiatrist and she's not talking. And we know, you know, in retrospect, that it's the little girl, this the tethered girl, but that she's not talking. The doctor says, find ways for her to express herself, writing, art, or dancing. Ways to give her a voice. Ways for her to tell her story, she specifically says. So I believe that that scene, because it took me a while to unpack the dancing, is that when that happened up above, the little girl, the untethered little girl, is telling the story of the untethered in her dance somehow. She's telling the story of her life. Yeah. And that it's being mimicked in a grotesque way, slightly, but it's being mimicked down below by, you know, who will become red, and that by telling their story, by being this, that she just showed herself to not be like the others. And that's how she be, kind of becomes their leader and prophet. But I think there's something very important with the idea that she is using, that the doctor says, use dance to tell her story. 
Um, and so I think that's very important. And then we, we come into the sequence that uh, where we have, I thought, a very clever kind of fun fight scene where Red is just always a step ahead of Adelaide while Adelaide's trying to kill her. Yeah. Um, cross cut to the dance. And and um, let me just say uh, Lupita Nyong'o's frustration yes, is yes. just incredible in that scene. The only problem I had with that scene is I felt like it had the opportunity to be a really good oneer, like a Daredevil old boy style oneer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, and, and it looked like some of it was shot that way, but it kept cutting to the dance. And it, sometimes I was a little frustrated because I was like, oh no, but this is, this little dance you're doing in real life with the knife is really cool, you know? Yeah, and, and with, I'm, I'm kind of with you. That that scene was a little. Uh, we, he's going. We get it. He's going for something. I just don't 100 percent know if it reads. Yeah. Um, so then, finally, uh, Adelaide kills Red, and she stabs her through the heart with a poker. But that's not enough. No. She takes the chains, which, if we will learn in a second, the, the handcuffs actually have a very specific meaning. Yes. And she cracks her neck. Rat, right? I mean, t- very, very deliberately and slowly wraps those chains around yeah. her neck. And she wants pushes. to make sure this woman is dead. Correct. And then what does she do after she cracks her neck? She, wait, did she laugh or did she scream? She screams a guttural scream that sounds just like the untethered. Yes. All of a sudden, her roots come out. Her 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 crazy comes out. Yeah. She just, all of a sudden, she becomes one of them. And it lasts for a good amount of time. And she does, I think, laugh a little bit, um, much like we saw. You know, we missed Elizabeth Moss kind of laughing earlier when her husband's killed, right? right? Um, Which, by and, the way, that was creepy as fuck too. Yeah, that, that scene was yeah crazy. And then, so then she kills her. We see this moment where she basically, but again, if you don't know the twist, you can read that as her just going feral. Sure, right? Like well, this is Mama, Mama Bear looking for her yeah. cub. Fuck off! She's gone nuts. And what? Look what it takes to turn her into an animal like them. Right, like you right. Can it's read been... it as that. Absolutely. So that she rescues Jason, and she says something. Finds Jason hiding in something, of course. And um, and we forgot to mention, Jason's always wearing a mask. Uh, he's got this old mask well, that he wears. Jason's he's in a locker, and he's yeah. He has seen all of this, and he has seen all of this, and. Uh, Jason's kind of scared. He doesn't know what's going on. But she says something very important. She says, don't worry. Things are going to go back to the way they were. Which is crazy as shit. Because Which is no, ridiculous. Because no, they're not. And second, um, I think that's important as well uh, about talking about that message of her having gotten out. And her wanting to hold on to this life she has found. Right. That is better than the life she came from. And so she's deluding herself by saying it, but she's like, no, things are going to go back to the way they were. Cause I liked the way they were. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, but she's, she manages to kind of snap out of her feral state, but obviously Jason is disturbed by it. We Marie and I with the family who the other two just chill at the ambulance, assuming everyone, they're going to come back. And then they, they take off and we have a scene in the car, kind of the happy family at the end. Um, I, I was kind of, I was very entertained by how much Winston Duke is selling that leg that has nothing visibly wrong with it, but we no, have to have the reason. Once. Right, we have to yeah. have the reason why Gabe 
isn't doing anything. Well, so, he isn't driving. He isn't right, running. right. He's doing nothing. So we, we, every time we see him, he is like limping like nobody you've ever seen limp before. His his fighting method is to slowly draw one of the people away from the fight. <laughs> yes. And hit him with an ineffectual flare gun, which I really liked. That was a um, good moment. So then we're left with the family in the car, and Adelaide, uh, despite being stabbed at one point, is driving. And we, you know, everything's, and you know, in, no, not everything's going to be okay, but our family is okay. And then there's a look. And then we, we, we get a close-up of Adelaide, and then we get the flashback. Yeah. In which we discover that Adelaide is red, and red is Adelaide. That 30-plus that, that years ago, the little girl that she met in the thing knocked her out dragged her back to where the untethered lived, changed clothes with her, even put her Michael Jackson thriller shirt right side out as her as the little girl the the, the tethered girls was inside out and takes her place. And that all this time that the Adelaide that we know has has been this untethered girl who's been living in the real world for thirty years. Um and left the real Adelaide to suffer with her people. And that that's the one she just killed. And again, you could be ahead of this. You could be mine. It could be a total shock to you. You could be ahead of it. I think it's effective either way. Yeah, I agree. And then you get her and Jason exchanging a look. And there's a lot going on in that look. And then Jason puts his mask on. Yeah. Then Jason puts his mask on and... Just kind of goes, just kind of averts his eyes and goes back to his day, Go, and, and goes back to the car driving. And then we 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 come out of the car. Our story with the family is done. And then we 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 look up, and then we get this fi- final giant tracking shot where we show hands across America. Thousands the, of thousands of people. I'm guessing about six point five million. Right, right. Holding hands from coast to coast. Um where this was Red's plan all along. You know, all she knew, the last thing she knew before she disappeared was the way you get attention for the people that are unbothered or, or, or unnoticed, the people that are forgotten. The underrepresented. The underrepresented, right, is to make a giant display. And the way, and the only giant display she knows from when she was a kid was hands across America. Well, and what um, I didn't really notice my first time through, because I, I was just trying to take everything in, but you know we get this beautiful tracking shot across the the you know the the purple mountains majesty and yeah. the amber waves of grain yeah which are mentioned in the uh, commercial absolutely the beginning. Uh, we see the people but there are also massive clouds of smoke indicating destruction and then the, helicopters. the helicopters flying around yeah because this is a national emergency and and <laughs> again it's a very sort of Romero. Dawn of yeah. the Dead, Night of the Living Dead kind of ending of like, yes, our little family is okay, but look at everything else. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, like, it, like this isn't over. And, and it's also letting you know that like, even though Red's gone, her message is going to yes. happen and yes. things like that. Um, like I said, I, my, and the movie ends, and then you, you're stuck thinking about it for weeks. Um, I think that... that but one thing I want to pause real quick before we get off is this, and this is a, a theory I saw on uh, Dreadstore.com, which I think is a horror website, but I've seen it other places. Is Jason tethered? He really real, real quick. He left his trick there last year, but doesn't know how to work it. Could he have been swapped in the meantime? 
He's the one that doesn't have rhythm in the car when they're listening to the song, right? She tries to show him how to snap along with the song. He never quite gets on rhythm. Uh, he's always wearing his mask. He loves it, that mask, right? This is interesting. Instead of a sandcastle at the beach, he's digging a tunnel. The girls even say that. They're like, what were you building? He goes, it was a tunnel. And they go, that was stupid. The twins. And Zora says he's just weird. And the twins say, your brother's really weird. Um, again, it's, it's, it's important. It brought up, um, uh, when, uh, there are reasons against it, but, and then, and then the look at them at the end is, is it a moment of him fearing her or is it a recognition? Like, are we safe? Is it really over? Um, you know, she, cause all she wants to do is go back to the world with sun and sky and strawberries that she's lived with for 30 years. Right. right. And, and so there's some theories out there. To me, against that theory is the idea that he was, you know, she says he was born of fire or something like that. Um, and I, then would he be a feral monster after just a year or so? Right. It's an interesting thought. But, but she seems very protective of Jason in the movie. Yeah. But I, like the, I, that's just natural. It is. It is. I just, the second time through, because I had read that, there's a, there was just a, I don't know, it, it, it it felt like she was overly protective of Jason, and it was just those little details. The tunnel was the big thing. The fact right. that they actually, but that just could be just be an Easter egg. Well, um, and also just part of the the lot of themes because if you, yeah. there are when she's talking about there seem things are lining up. There seem to be signs, and there is a little bit of a supernatural element to the clock yeah. being eleven eleven uh, when the frisbee, frisbee gets thrown. Like there's also there's also a lot of sort of yeah. This is just going to be fun. Like, I think Jordan Peele had a lot of fun with the little bits and pieces. And it's exactly like he didn't get out where Allison Williams at the end of the movie is eating her Cheerios without milk because she's keeping the ones and the colored separate. Um, or not her Cheerios, her Fruit Loops, sorry. She's right. got Fruit Loops in one bowl right, and drinking right. her milk, but she's keeping her whites and colors separated. Um, so there are, uh, he loves, and, and that's the eye of a sketch comedian. Those details, you know, those are those are his, that's his comedic eye. Well, it's the eye details. of a and, and man, we really didn't get to talk a whole lot about this, but uh, and and we've got to wrap it up. But yeah. the, it is for sure the 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 payoff, the the pun, the setup and the punchline, very much elements of comedy. But I think a lot of his skills also and his attention to detail, as you said, remind me a lot of Kubrick. No, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, he he's he's got more of a no, he's a very – it's interesting. I would not have guessed it. Even coming out of Get Out, honestly, as much as I like the movie, you never know. But I think we're seeing the emergence of a major filmmaker. I agree. You know, um, and not uh, not just some comedian who made a good movie or something, but a legitimate major filmmaker who who's going to have some things to say. And, you know, I, I will say this real quick. Last year, 2018 – you might be listening to this five years from now, who knows, but 2018 was the best, without question, uh, year in the history of black cinema. For sure. From a, from a financial standpoint, an artistic standpoint, um, uh, from Black Panther becoming, what, the second or third highest grossing film of all time, um, a film that is unabashedly black, not, you know, uh, not like, and then to th- films like Blind Spotting, If Bill Street Could Talk, Sorry to bother you, and then you know to, a, to not a lesser extent, but and then at the end of the year, in Spider-Man into the multiverse, yeah, um, that had white filmmakers, but but it was a big year for black films, black filmmakers, 
Um, and this and, and Jordan Peele, even though he didn't have a film in 2018, he bookended <laughs> that year, um, is also one of those voices that is coming out in in our fight to get representation. And it goes back to the conversation we had at the beginning about him saying he was you know planning on casting mostly black leads in his movies. Is that representation comes from behind the camera? People instinctually want to tell stories about people like them, yes. themselves. And so the only way to fix what's in front of the camera is to fix what's behind the camera and to give someone. And, and what I love about what he did in this film and what a lot of them do. I mean, it, you look at something like the big sick as well with a Pakistani lead, like I said, with Kumail, um, a lot of these films, there's nothing. And what, what hopefully what something that we already knew, but hopefully people are learning is, is completely that it's just as relatable as anything else <laughs> that, that you can completely relate to a black family on screen as much as you would a white family, just like black families have been relating to really white families forever. And, and that's, that is absolutely the, the perfect spot to, I think, close things up. Yeah. With. Yeah. Uh, so, and it, yeah. So great movie. I definitely recommend it. A lot to th- talk about. I think it's about more than one thing. Yes. Yes. Uh, but it's also just a very effective fun movie. You know, yeah, it, it just is. It's a good time. Yeah, I'll be as soon as it comes out. I'll be buying it and I'll be watching it over and over again and devouring. Yeah. My gosh, I hope we get a lot of interesting behind-the-scenes special features, commentary, Comment, whatever. Commentary. I really like I, a commentary on this yeah, one. That would I, be really fascinating. He said some things about it, but I'd really, I'd really like to uh, hear. I'd, yeah, a commentary track would be would be phenomenal. And, um, and, and I'm happy that he is willing to talk about it and and isn't. Uh, as much as I respect an artist who's like, nope, I'm putting it out there, and yeah. you just oh. figure it out. I, I, well, I, I love David hear Lynch. His thoughts. I love David Lynch, but he's never telling a shit. Right, um, exactly. And I'll, I'll leave it real quick with a quote from Jordan Peele from South by Southwest, where he said, "The monster we need to look at has our face, and maybe the evil is us. That's why they look like them. It's not. He, he's, 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 he, it's." It's it's not a new idea, but it's holding up the mirror to to us and saying we're the problem. You know uh, that that these problems come from human beings. Um, and like I said, I think it's very important that it's not supernatural, at least not in the traditional sense. Um, but it's a good flick, and uh, if you're old enough to remember Hands Across America, there's a little nostalgia trip with it too. So awesome, well, Chad! Thank you so much for coming on talking about this thing. Before we of go, course. where can we find you online? What are you up to? Uh, I quit Twitter. Uh, I feel 75 pounds lighter. So uh, just chadjshonk.com. We'll have updates eventually. It got some cool stuff. We'll be coming down the pipe. But uh, that'll be the place to find stuff. from. And you can order my book, Proxy, on Amazon or watch the movie I wrote, Dakota Sky, on uh, Amazon Prime. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Bye. Okay, one thing I have to address is why this review is coming out so much later than the movie. Because usually I try and be on top of things and have uh, movie reviews out the week after. Uh, But what happened is uh, Chad and I's schedules didn't quite link up. Uh, I really wanted to see the movie again. And then the day that I was supposed to go see it again, I ended up having to work. uh, Or no, I'm sorry. The original day that we were supposed to talk, I ended up having to work. And we were going to talk about, uh, we were going to do the Us movie review, and then the Star Wars trailer dropped, which you can hear on uh, episode three of the Needless Things minicast. We talk about the the trailer for uh, The Rise of Skywalker. So 
once we did end up talking, we had both seen Us twice, and I think had a better conversation for having seen it twice, uh, and then knocked out the Rise of Skywalker minicast, uh, which kind of needed to go up ASAP, and then Us, which I didn't have a slot for, uh, and I didn't think I was... Excuse me, I needed some beverage. Uh, I didn't think I was going to have a slot for it this week, but then an idea I had kind of fell through. So now uh, th- this goes up this week as it should. Uh, and considering it's, uh, I can't say, I don't, I don't know where I rank it. I'm not going to rank it. I'm going to say it's one of my favorite movies of, of 2019 so far. It's certainly the one that has affected me the most, and as such, uh, it's cool that this is the episode that's going up on my birthday. Uh, if you wish to wish me happy birthday, I am Phantom Troublemaker on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I am Dave West on Facebook. Please join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group, and remember, I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things Podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.